Get on Team Shaq with WinBet. We're playing parlays, boosting odds, and laying the wildest prop bets. Don't miss another game. Download the WinBet sports betting app today. Sign up today and win $200 in free bets when you place a $10 first-time wager on a straight bet or parlay. That's $200 that you can use for all the upcoming basketball action, including the men's basketball tournament. If you bet at least $500 during the first and second round of the tournament, you can get a trip to the five-star rated Win Las Vegas. Offer subject to change, terms, and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in a state where playthrough winbet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from RootMetric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the That's So Mets podcast. It is episode number 15. I'm your host, Connor Rogers, joined as always by my co-host, Joe DeMeo. A pretty exciting week for this show because Joe released his top 20 prospects in the New York Mets farm system. That is on SNY.com. We are going to answer your questions. We are also keeping an eye on the Mets search for a president of baseball operations as we sit here and record uh, they have had interviews blocked. They have had rumors of people they do want, but no sign of who the hire will be. And if that does come down after the show, we will do an emergency episode to talk about the hire. So today, a deep dive on the Mets farm system. This will be as good as it gets in terms of going through those guys. Uh, Joe really, really has a lot of details on the top 20 here when you can expect these guys with the big league club, uh, you know, floor, ceilings. And then, as always, a lot of your questions, free agency, trades, rumors, internal extensions. We'll get through all that as well. So let's kick it off here. Joe, the article is finally out. How are we feeling? You got to this got to be a big weight off your back getting this thing released. Oh, for sure. Yeah, it's it's my favorite article to write every year until I actually have to write it. And then it's a, it, it definitely takes a lot because, you know, there's a lot of stuff that goes into it. You know, I'm reaching out to a bunch of different people to ask opinions on things. I've run this list by people throughout baseball and say, does this seem right? And, you know, I, I, I get a lot of different inputs here. But, no, it's a, it's a great weight off my shoulder to have it out there. Uh, the feedback has been great so far, so I appreciate everyone reaching out. And yeah, you certainly can go check out the whole list, uh, SMY.TV. And yeah, no, excited to talk about it and can't wait for the Mets to name the president of baseball operations. I'm guessing probably what, like an hour after done recording? Something <laughs> never like that. fails, yeah, dude. Never. It never fails. And we will do another show uh, to go because we want to, you know give you guys a good show about that. It's a big deal when the Mets hire their president of baseball operations. It's not something that just deserves a segment or five minutes in an open. It's going to be a full episode, and we're going to get you there. Now, let's talk about this because 
I look at it, this is a very hard year to do an exercise like this. You're coming off a year where there was no minor league system. Can't say that's ever happened in your career covering uh, MLB prospects, which makes this a little bit more difficult. But you have enough connections where you have a good pulse on all these guys. And I, I love that you also insert your opinion into this. It's not just a you know curated opinions. There is There is definitely some debate at the top of this list. Number one is a catcher. And that is Francisco Alvarez, a guy that we've talked about a lot on this show, a guy that's, you know, been in the Mets system now since signing as an international free agent in 2018. Uh, a lot of hype. I've asked you this off the air before. You know, this is this somebody that'll actually stick at catcher, or is this a big bat that is playing catcher? And it's always exciting that you know you hear that. No, this this guy is a catcher that's getting better at the position. And the Mets, as much as their farm system has been gutted at times over the last couple of years, you know, obviously we'd love to sit here and, and talk about Jared Kalanick, number one, or something like that. There is some, some really impressive talent at the top. Now, Joe, what made you go with Alvarez as the number one guy, and, and what is the gap from him and everyone else right now? So where I really decided to go with Alvarez is – I think there's a top three in this system, and then there's a gap. Uh, so with Alvarez, Matt Allen, and uh, Ronnie Mauricio. And Ronnie Mauricio is pretty, pretty commonly referred to as the top prospect in the system. You, you see a couple places now putting Alvarez up there. I thought I was going to be original, but I'm one of the first couple, so that's good enough. But Alvarez, to me, I just said, who's the guy that I think has the best chance to make an all-star team? down the road and I asked around and in my own opinion that is Alvarez I think he's going to be a plus bat at the position uh, super short compact stroke that just produces natural power he's just kind of in a sense in his swing he has like the David Wright foot thing where he doesn't have a big leg kick it's just kind of like a twist to the ankle and you know gets his hips through he shows power to the opposite field he will have to learn as he goes on to turn on the inside pitch, um, something that it took Dominic Smith a long time to do. He's honestly, it was probably like last year, like 2019 is when you really started to see him do it. Dom was just a power the other way guy. I think Alvarez has bat speed, so I think he's going to be able to get there certainly quicker than you know being in the major leagues. But I think he's your best shot at an all-star for sure. And behind the plate, he's... He's going to stick, I think, unless he puts on way too much weight, which isn't the expectation based on his body type and his work ethic. They don't think, you know, he's going to become a fat guy. But behind the plate, he's fine at blocking balls. Uh, he works hard at pitch framing and down at instructs. He registered, registered some really good pop times throwing down the second base. So I think he's going to stick at catcher. I don't think he's going to be winning gold gloves necessarily. But I, I don't think he's going to be a detriment back there, no. Which has been a problem with the Mets for a while at catcher. So to even get a middle-of-the-pack player defensively at the position that has a pretty big-time bat at a position that often does not produce big numbers in MLB lineups, that would be big-time. He turns 19 years old this week, so this is a really, really young player to have at the top. Now, one thing I want to ask you, because, you know, it deserves, uh, we deserve, you know, to spend some time on the top guy. And with Alvarez, you, you had his ETA as 2023. Now, once again, turning 19 this week, so maybe it takes a little longer, but he, he's that kind of uh, impact player. 
How do you think something like this impacts going after a top free agent like JTO Real Muto, which as far as you and I have heard, uh, he's going to want five, six, maybe even seven years on the market. I don't think a team gives a catcher a seven-year deal, especially in this pandemic climate. But how do you think that impacts the Mets free agency? Looking at a guy like Alvarez, that's probably two to three years away at the position being their top guy. I personally don't believe in, you know, like I love Alvarez. He's my top prospect and I feel great about his future. But personally, if someone's two, three years away, I don't plan on them don't necessarily. Bet on them, right? Yeah, because yeah. a lot of things could happen. He could get injured. You know, he could not work out. A lot of things could happen. I don't plan around guys that are two, three years away. Uh, if if Alvarez was in double A right now and, you know, maybe starting AAA in 2021 or repeating AA, then that's a different conversation because then you're talking about this guy has a good chance to get there this year. And you don't want to commit, you know, those kind of years and resources to catcher. So I wouldn't be opposed to going after JT Realmuto, even with Alvarez being there. And if it works out that Alvarez is as good as I think he's going to be, you know, you'll be in year, let's call it three or four of Realmuto's five, six-year deal. And maybe he has to shift to first base, or maybe he's athletic enough to handle third base, or maybe he does a lot of DH work. You can always make it work, but no, generally speaking, for prospects that are in the lower minors, I don't bank on them. Like, I assess them, I scout them, and the Mets do the same, but ultimately, the big league team has to be trying to win. They can't be saying, well, we can't pursue the best catcher in baseball because in three years, we might have an all-star caliber catcher. You know, just go for the guy now and work it out when the time gets there. I think that's absolutely fair, and it brings me to the next guy on this list, and that is right-handed pitcher Matt Allen. Uh, you know, obviously a pretty well-known prospect, not because of what he's done in the Mets system so far yet, but because in the 2019 MLB draft, he was taken in the third round. He was projected, and correct me if I'm wrong here at all, Joe, but he was projected to be a first-round caliber player, and a lot of teams just thought, um, you know, a lot of people thought teams would not meet his pay demands that late and Brody Van Wagenen and staff were able to not only draft this guy in the third round, but make the money work where they feel like they got a first round caliber player, a first round caliber arm in the third round, which is extremely rare in MLB draft. So Matt Allen comes in at number two, like I said, has not had a chance to really show off his stuff in the Mets system yet, but I did like that in the article um, you noted he is, he impressed at the alternative site last year that he is a guy with a filled out frame he's 225 pounds he you know can pump a fastball in the mid 90s and has really really good breaking stuff and and has a a big arsenal of pitches already that might not be complete but are are on their way there I'm with you I am just as hyped for Matt Allen I think him being number two on this list ahead of Ronnie Mauricio is extremely fair I would not be shocked that a year from now, when you and I sit down to do this show, that Matt Allen is a guy that can make jump to number one on this list. Uh, give me your thoughts here, what you thought of him coming out to school, what you thought of him getting drafted and how that played out so late for the Mets, and, and just what you've heard about him during his short time with the club. So Matt Allen was a top 10 player on my board in the 2019 draft. I thought... 
taking hit taking Brett Beatty over him was not a great idea. And Beatty, you know, we'll talk about him. I'm a fan of his as well. But to me, Matt Allen was a top 10 player in this class. And when he didn't end up getting drafted in the first round, I just went, all right, you know, it's another one of those top 10, top 15 players. Jack Leiter did the same thing that, you know, didn't go in the first. So they're just going to head off to school. Uh, Matt Allen was committed to Florida. And I was like, oh, oh well, Matt Allen's just going to head off to Florida. And that's cool. In three years, he'll be the number one pick or the number two pick. And, you know, we'll talk about him then. Happens every year. So I said, all right, whatever it is, what it is. And then, you know, I'm obviously listening to the draft on MLB.com. And I remember they come on with the 89th pick. And it goes, New York Mets select draft ID, blah, 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 whatever his number was. Matt Allen, right-handed pitcher from Seminole High School in Florida. I go, let me just, is there another Matt Allen? That doesn't make sense because the Mets certainly never did this before where they pursued a player this high quality outside of the first round because the cost to sign him basically scraps a lot of the rest of your draft. You have no way around it. I mean, Matt Allen took $2.5 million to sign. They had to go college seniors the rest of the top 10 rounds just to be able to afford Matt Allen. So they built their draft around Matt Allen. There's really no other way to put it. But as far as since he's come into the system, the Mets have been so impressed with what he shows. Hard worker, a guy that's heavy into analytics, uh, driveline, all those things. He Spin rate is something that's really important to him. And that is what you take a fastball that a 95, 96 mile an hour fastball in 2021 isn't really anything special. A lot of people throw 95, 96 miles an hour. But Matt Allen goes with a high spin rate. And that's something that Zach Wheeler has, which makes that fastball appear to be rising a little bit. It gives it that little extra life at the end. That's what spin rate does there. And then with the breaking ball, obviously, it helps it break harder, sharper. And the changeup is his third pitch that he's put a ton of work into. And I think it's going to end up an above average pitch. And to me, Matt Allen is tailor-made to be a number two starter. His delivery is smooth. Uh, If you watch him pitch, I think Mets Farm Report on Twitter posted highlights of him. I'll retweet it, but he po- they posted highlights of him down at Instructs Pitching. And just free and easy. He's got a workhorse build already. I don't, I don't know what the issue is with Matt Allen. Uh, out there, I see him ranked fifth by some people. And, you know, everyone has their own opinions. But to me, this guy has all the makings of a number two starter. So I'm all in. And that's big time because this is a Mets farm system that desperately needs starting arms to pan out, right? And we could sit here all day and talk about how Jacob DeGrom is, in our eyes, the best pitcher in baseball. Trevor Bauer, Charlie Morton, you know, uh, are are guys on the market that can absolutely make a difference. Marcus Stroman is back. Noah Syndergaard will be back, and, and, you know, his contract will be a discussion as well. Uh, We were really, really, you know, excited with what we saw from David Peterson last year. But with all of that being said, they need an arm or two to hit from this farm system in the next two years. They really, really do. And Matt Allen is the guy, obviously, the the guy that if you were a betting man, 
uh, you would put your money on. So to round out your top five, you have Ronnie Mauricio, who is a big-time international free agent in 2017. You might see him number one on some other other spots. N- uh, number four, this year's first-round pick, center fielder Pete Crow Armstrong. And number five, 2019's first-round pick in, in Brett Beatty. Now, we've heard a lot about those guys, and you and I have talked a lot about those guys on this show. Who is the player outside of the top 10 on this list? And, and everybody should really go read it because there's at least a couple, even if you're into the Mets farm system, there are names on here that you will be introduced to. Joe, who is the guy that, and it doesn't have to necessarily be outside the top 10, it could be outside the top five, but somebody that is not at the top of this list that you think can have maybe a meteoric rise in a year or two? So I'll give you one inside the top 10, and then I'll give you one just outside. So I, I won't give you JT Ginn because, you know, we'll see. When he's healthy, he certainly is a guy that has an opportunity to be, you know, a number two, number three type, like Matt type starter. Yeah, he has a chance to jump up there. But I'm going to go with something that I thought I was very bold in putting this guy here. And I'll call myself bold. I'm okay with it. Uh, at number 10, Robert Dominguez. Has it pitched in America? I mean, we have we haven't seen him, but last year the Mets signed him as an international free agent for I believe ninety five thousand dollars. And when the Mets signed him, he was which is nothing, right? Nothing in the nothing. international yeah. free agent market. No, yeah. that's nothing. And he was throwing low nineties, maybe touch ninety three or ninety four. So is what it was. And the Mets bring him in, they make a couple mechanical adjustments, and. The dude's thrown 99 miles an hour now. And Baseball America calls him the best arm that was acquired in the 2019 international free agent class. And the Mets believe they got the best arm. So he has, you know, a long way to go, obviously. He's an international free agent that hasn't even pitched here yet. But his stuff, from everything I'm hearing, is special. So... To me, he's a guy that this time next year, he may have he may jump on the radar in a in a fairly big way, and then outside of the top ten, Alexander Ramirez. So he was their actual big international free agent signing in 2019. They signed him for just over two million dollars, and very projectable guy, six three, hundred and seventy five pounds, play center field and. He's more than athletic enough to play center field long-term. He's got speed. Uh, right now, he drives the ball gap to gap, just gap power. But the thought is that he's going to grow into some more pop. And if there's a guy on this list that you look at and go, there's a guy that could be above average in all five of the tools, which is hit, power, speed, field, run. If he's able to do all of those, Alexander Ramirez is your best chance to have a guy that has all five tools and I'm air quoting a bit because he's not going to be plus in everything but a little bit of everything he's an exciting guy that we still need to see more from but he's he's definitely one that I'd put up there it's going to be interesting to see how the center field situation plays out from the Mets farm right because you have someone like Ramirez that let's be real uh, they gave over two million dollars in the 2019 international free agent market so they obviously viewed him as a pretty serious, you know, talent at the time. And then even after doing that, you still they still drafted two center fielders in the top 70 
in this year's draft. You look at Isaiah Green, who you know in the article at number nine, uh, the Mets think he should have gone way earlier than when they got him and, and a player that was a bit of a late riser in that draft. And, of course, the first-round pick in Pete Crow Armstrong, who a lot of people believe is a, a great defensive center fielder who is number four on your list and, and is the one that everyone expects to be the center fielder of the future. But all three of those guys are projected in your article to be MLB ready in 2024. So they're all in the same timeline. They all came through different situations, right? Pete Crow Armstrong being a first-round pick. There's expectations there. Isaiah Green being a third-round pick, and I believe that was a, a pick given to them um, from letting Zach Wheeler go. So that makes it kind of interesting. And then, of course, the international free agent market in Ramirez. So definitely a storyline uh, to keep an eye on for this team in center field. But as we always do, and if you didn't read the article yet, please go to SNY.TV or go to Joe's Twitter. Uh, it, it is phenomenal. It's really, uh, you know, a, what, 10 10 minute read of, of you getting your full update on where the farm system is at. And you will, even if you're a diehard, you will come away with, with some kind of new information. But as we always do, we're going to get into your guys' questions today. A lot of good ones. We have five questions we took today. So let's start it off right here. This is from at an insane Mets fan. Has your opinion, specifically Connor's opinion, on Bauer changed due to Sandy's comments? Joe, I'll let you start with that one. No, I, I have the same exact opinion that I still had a Bauer, but it's nice to see Sandy talking about premium free agents outside of in theory. Like, I remember Sandy being asked about, you know, other premier free agents. And it's just like, yeah, 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 you know, they're good, but probably won't work here. <laughs> and, you know, just had to brush around it. But Sandy knows now that if they do want Trevor Bauer... There is an owner willing to spend money to get Trevor Bauer. So he could talk about him. And I do agree with what he said. Sandy looks at baseball as entertainment, too. That was, you know, that was part of the Tim Tebow signing, was an entertainment value. So he values entertainment. And Trevor Bauer is an, you could say whatever you want about the guy. He's an entertaining guy. He's entertaining on the field, he's entertaining off the field. Some might find him very obnoxious off the field. Um, but he's, say, He's an exciting guy. So uh, my opinion hasn't changed. I personally, that's not where I want to spend the money if I were in charge. But uh, if they do, it's not like I'm going to cry. They got the reigning Cy Young Award winner to pitch behind the best pitcher in baseball, along with Stroman and, Poss and you know, Syndergaard's going to be back at some point, maybe as early as June. So I wouldn't be upset if they signed him. But no, I, I don't think my opinion's changed much. Yeah, and that's the same for me, just to be clear. I think it was cool to see Sandy come out and say that, right? And it's cool that Trevor Bauer really likes, you know, what he heard from Steve Cohen. And I, I think that's all great. And I think Trevor Bauer is a really, really good pitcher that's coming off a Cy Young season. And there were years where it did not work out for him. And it seems like it's really trended in the right direction these last two years for Bauer. And we know how hard he works. And, and I, my stance with Bauer is this. If he wants to take a one-year or a two-year deal, great. I, I'm because you got right. We're looking at it like this: Jacob Degrom is a guy that you know, and knock on wood, but we sit here and believe at 32 years old, and he'll turn 33 in June, has what we believe to be at least two Cy Young caliber seasons left in the tank, 
And, you know, it's hard to expect that from a guy every year, but that's how good DeGrom is. Where if you're going to pair Bauer with him for the next two years, that is a potential powerhouse one and two. And we're not even getting into, you know, Noah Syndergaard coming back at some point. Stroman is a guy that has pitched like a number two at times. I think he's more of a number three. And if Peterson can get better and things like that. Where I want to avoid things with Bauer, and I know a lot of fans are on the, you know, he only needs a one- or a two-year deal. I'm not believing that. Any agent that has a client that's coming off a Cy Young season where this is his one time to get that mega payday, right? Bauer is, what, 30? You look at it and you go, this is somebody that should get a five-year deal somewhere. And if the Mets were the team to give him that five-year deal... I think he'd wear out his welcome at some point of the deal. I don't think he would finish it with the Mets. And I know that's a strong stance, but it's just how I feel about Bauer. And I'm somebody that I am all for athletes being themselves, being vocal, doing whatever they want. I just think he's somebody that is, you know, a great player, but he can be, he could be a lot about Trevor Bauer at times. And I think the Mets are a team that, I think they have one of the best clubhouses in baseball. I really believe that, what they've established there, the group they have. It's a close group. And I'm not saying Bauer is going to come in and ruin that. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm just saying I think it's a great lightning-in-the-bottle kind of plan, right? I think you can make a World Series run this year with Bauer on your staff with DeGrom. Do a, or maybe in you know two years from now, a couple more moves. I don't like it being your big-ticket five-year guy. I don't. I would rather go Springer or Real Muto for that. That's my stance um, because I think this pitching market is quietly going to be one that the Mets can steal. And what I mean by that is, and we're going to get into the luxury tax with a question later that's very important here because the Mets are not going to have a $300 million payroll this year. That's why you have to be selective of the moves you make. I think the Mets can go get a Springer or Real Muto, which makes them significantly better at two weak spots, defensively and offensively, center field and catcher. Get one of them, and I think you could steal some guys in the middle of the pitching market. I think you can go get a Charlie Morton. I think you can get a Tanaka. I think you can fill out a five-man staff plus Cindergaard coming back on that innings limit where you feel like you have a six-man staff eventually. Somebody always gets hurt. So as a team building philosophy that's why I like that option better than Bauer being the big ticket totally agree uh I I like Bauer he's good but you know if like you said Charlie Morton Jake Odorizzi is a name I would recommend Met fans keeping an eye on he didn't have a great year this year and he was banged up and hurt but he was an all-star the year before and a big factor in him becoming an all-star was help of Jeremy Hefner, who is now the Mets pitching coach. So there's a connection there. So don't be surprised if you see the Mets really pursue Jake Odorizzi as an option. And I like that option. I mean, you look at this year, like you said, Joe, he was simply hurt. And that's maybe the Mets can kind of cash in there and steal a guy like that, that, you know, obviously has familiarity with the staff. But more importantly, it's it's not going to cost you a ton, and it's not going to cost you the term that scares you with baseball deals, right? Like one year, you always say this. There's no such thing as a bad one-year deal in baseball. 
and, and that's a guy that might have to take a prove it deal. So, yeah, it's and I get why I'm not knocking anyone that wants Trevor Bauer, and if he signs with the Mets. I will celebrate with everyone else on the show because I'm just happy the Mets are in the conversation to sign one of those guys. But if I was choosing, that's the route I'd go. All right, next question. This one from Daniel Weber. Seems like a Conforto extension is hopefully in the cards with new ownership. With Cindergaard, how would you approach his impending free agent status? Well, he needs to come back and show that he's healthy, number one. But that's another factor. Kind of plays into the Trevor Bauer discussion a little bit. If you go ahead and give Trevor Bauer that, like you said, five-year deal for whatever, $25, $30 million a year or whatever it ends up being. Syndergaard's gone. Syndergaard's gone. At the end of the day, Steve Cohen has a ton of money. There's no question. But it's not realistic to think the Mets are going to pay Jacob deGrom $30 million, Trevor Bauer $25 million, and then Syndergaard $20-plus I don't think that's realistic, at least for an extended period of time. Like you said, if Trevor Bauer signed a one- or two-year deal, you bite the bullet for a year, and then your your salary will clear up. But I look at Noah Syndergaard as a long-term cog here. He's incredibly hardworking, uh, almost too hard, and, and super talented guy that I think just needs to, you know, rein in a bit and just... I don't know. I think Syndergaard's a guy that I want to have here for a long term. I don't know how, how else to say it. I want to see him here if he's healthy on a five-year type deal. And that's the guy that I would much prefer having the money go to than a guy like Bauer. I'd rather pay one of our own. And I think that's going to set a precedent going forward is that if you – Syndergaard was traded for, but whatever. He's mostly developed by the Mets because when they got him, he was an A-ball. But – if you are developed by this team, you become a great player for this team, a great member of this clubhouse, we're going to reward you, and you're going to stay here. And that's where I want to see the Mets get to. So Syndergaard, to me, is a long-term keeper. As long as he comes back and he looks right, healthy, velocity's good, movement's good, as long as there's no concerns, and by all accounts, he's throwing off a mound, which would put him a little ahead of schedule. I don't know if it was a full slope, but you know he's he's seemingly ahead of schedule. So that June time frame might look really good, uh, maybe even a little earlier if we're lucky. But I, I'm excited to get him back, see how he looks, and you have to make a decision. He's a free agent after this coming season. So you have to decide if Noah Syndergaard's a part of your future. And I think the Trevor Bauer decision, uh, decision is a factor in that too. I think so, too, and I think that's very important to highlight. You can only throw so many big dollars at your staff, and, you know, while Bauer is coming off a Cy Young season, I'm not, I don't mean to make this like the Bauer hate fest. That's not the point. You know, Bauer's a guy that was a, a four-plus ERA guy every year until he was, you know, 27. 27, he had a 2-2-1 ERA, and then he went high threes. And then, you know, he really clicked at the Reds this year. Syndergaard's a guy that came up and was very successful at a young age. I mean, in 24 starts in his 22-year-old season, he had a 3-2-4 ERA. And then in 2016, a 2-6 ERA. Like, and I know the last we saw him in 2019, he had a 4-2-8, which is very uncharacteristic of him. But I think at 28 with a staff and the right tools around him, this guy is is big time. And 
is, you know, if he comes back and looks right, he's an investment that I, I'd want to keep him around here. So, and it is tricky. This is a great question from Daniel because, you know, we could sit here and say the Mets are not letting Michael Conforto walk out the door. Steve Cohen is here. He cares about the players. He cares about the culture. Homegrown talent that Sandy Alderson drafted. Uh, a real leader. A, an, was Had an MVP caliber year this year or was in the conversation in my eyes, in that top 10, Conforto's not going anywhere. Like, we sit here and we feel good about that. Syndergaard is very difficult because this is it. It's this year. And then he's not ready to go on time, so you get him in a smaller sample size, and then you have to make a big decision. So, here, I mean, here's the thing, Joe. Like, Syndergaard comes back too late where you can make the decision whether it's time to trade him or not at the deadline. You can't do that because you, you need him for this year and you won't have you won't have seen enough where his values where you want it to be. But then by the end of the year you have, <laughs> you have to make a decision to pay him or let him go and what do you get a, a, a maybe a draft pick in return maybe? It's just it is very very difficult. It I, and I guess it's great that Sandy's back because Sandy I think knows Noah as well as anyone could, but it's it, it is sneaky um it, like sneaky, sneaky, how difficult and how monumental the Cindergard situation is. And I'm going to be honest with you, I am deathly afraid of Noah Cindergard going somewhere else and winning a Cy Young. Like easily, I think I think that can stuff in the world that can easily happen. So, like I said, if if he comes back and he just looks right, like I don't need him to come back and give me you know a 1.9 ERA for three months to prove that he's worth being paid. He needs to come back. His stuff needs to look right. His delivery needs to look right, and he needs to be healthy for the season. And then, you know, certainly you start with the qualifying offer, uh, like everyone does, and then I'd be prepared to give this guy a multi-year deal. I think he should be a long-term cog here, and especially with all the money that Steve Cohen intends to invest in analytics and technology and everything along those lines that, you'll maximize someone with Noah's stuff. Because you can't teach that. That's unteachable. You can't teach a guy to throw 99 miles an hour and have a ball sink seven inches. That, that's not a teachable thing. But there's other things that you could do that can help round his game together as long as he's open to it, which I believe he is. And to me, the best days of Noah's regard are still to come. So I would... I want that to be here. I don't want that to be in Houston. I don't want that to be with the Dodgers or the Red Sox. Across town. Yeah, or the, uh, God forbid, across town. Uh, I want them to be here in Queens. So if he comes back and looks good, I would have zero hesitation to paying him market premium to keep him. My last thing on Syndergaard, uh, while we just are, are blowing him up here, he was the big-time pitcher for the Mets in their last two postseasons. Big time. And I think people do not talk about that enough, how important it is to be able to step on the mound with a million people screaming when it's 40 degrees out and be able to pitch in that environment with all of the pressure. I mean, Joe, this is a guy that three out of his four starts in 2015 in the postseason, the Mets won. And he pitched really well. The one they lost... He gave up three runs in over six innings and struck out nine. They lost five to two. They didn't hit. 
And then in 2016, he was the guy on the mound against San Francisco. He threw seven scoreless innings and struck out 10. He couldn't do more to put the Mets in the further in the postseason in 2016. That matters to me a lot. And I, I think he's built for the postseason. And guess what? There is going to be postseason baseball for the Mets in the near future. So we went a little long on that one, but I, I think you get the point that this, this show is a a believer and a fan of, of Syndergaard and his long-term future with the team. The next question from Nick, why would we trade for Lindor when there are a bunch of top-tier free agent shortstops available next year via free agency? Shouldn't we allocate those players and trade for more of a need like pitching? Okay. One, I know he, you're just you're just ready to rip right now. Okay. One, he's better than the rest of them. Let's just start with that. And By a lot. Two, he's going to get traded somewhere, and someone is going to pay him. I prefer that to be the New York Mets because the Mets, yes, they do need pitching. There's no question about it. I don't think acquiring Francisco Lindor stops you from getting pitching. It stops you from getting Trevor Bauer. But I don't think they need Trevor Bauer. I think they just need, you know, a couple solid arms in there and then just focus on getting quality depth. I think this year, minor league deals are going to be very important for the Mets, where guys that would get big league deals in most years won't this year because of the economy that we're in. And I think you're going to get some guys on minor league deals that you're like, whoa, that guy signed a minor league deal guy that would be a much better 6th, 7th, 8th starter than Corey Oswald, no offense. And I think that's a huge factor as far as the pitching goes. But needs, okay. So when the Wilpons owned the Mets, all they did in free agency was, what do we need? All right, we'll get people to fill those spots. That is not what big market winning teams do. The L.A. Dodgers did not even kind of slightly need Mookie Betts. Not even a little bit. They're loaded in the outfield. They had A.J. Pollock on a big deal. They had Jock Peterson. They have Bellinger loaded in the outfield. They didn't have a need for him. But guess what? A young superstar was available, and they went and got him. The Mets don't need shortstop. You're correct. Like If, uh, if I had to list out the Mets' need, shortstop's not in the top couple. But a player of Francisco Lindor's special talent does not become available and when it becomes available this is where I want Steve Cohen and the Mets to strike and you can read those trade proposals that MLB Network had today utter disaster I cannot believe I can't believe that made air unbelievable but Francisco Lindor is a bigger impact player than anybody the Mets can sign he is a bigger impact than George Springer he's a bigger impact player than JT Realmuto He's a bigger impact player than Trevor Bauer. He is a significant difference maker. I want to sign one of those guys in addition to him. So let me be clear. I want the Mets to be aggressive. I want them to sign George Springer and trade for Francisco Lindor. To me, that's the dream. That's the dream two big additions this offseason. And Francisco Lindor is your shortstop for the next decade. And he's an MVP caliber player. You know how many MVP caliber players the Mets have right now? Any? I mean, Conforto. I love, I, I, I love, I love. <laughs> but Conforto. he'll never win yeah, one. He'll I never, make... Yeah, he'll never. Yeah, I love Conforto. Yeah. He's a stud. He's never going to win MVP, probably. Francisco Lindor can. And to me, I'm 
I'm I'm done hearing about they don't need a shortstop. You need great players, and you get them wherever you could get them. This is all an equation of building the best possible 25, 26 man roster, whatever it ends up being, and then depth, you know, to go with it. That's what this game is all about, building the best roster you can. It's not just saying, where are you weak? Oh, well, okay, we're weak here, so we have to go spend our resources here. Not necessarily. Like, they need a catcher. They don't need JT Realmuto. They don't even need James McCann. They just need someone back there that's good defensively and competent at the plate. I'm fine going cheap at catcher and saying Francisco Lindor is my franchise player for the next decade. That's And then you, you get him, and you're able to sign him. Steve Cohen has the money. They could sign him. But I'm done hearing people, so stop it. Stop with the whole, they don't need a shortstop. It doesn't matter. The Mets are a big market team now. The Mets are trying to win World Series now. And you're going to win World Series by having great players. You have to draft great players. You have to develop great players. And then when great players become available on the market, you go and get them. And that's Francisco Lindor. I, I like it. And I don't think it was a crazy question from Nick at all. Because I, I agree that when you look at the Mets, you don't sit there and go, oh my God, shortstop is this glaring hole. When you look at how good defensively Jimenez was last year, how young he is, that he can get even better at the plate, and the kind of base-stealing threat he is. But you summed it up perfectly there, Joe. It's This guy is an MVP-caliber player. He This is what's most important to me with Lindor. He's an MVP-caliber player that just turned 27 a couple days ago. So if you trade for Lindor, and here's the other most important part, I feel like Cleveland is kind of going to get robbed for him honestly I, I really think that they are not going to get the offers definitely none of the ones you saw on MLB Network not McNeil is not going in this trade it's that's not happening uh, uh, Pete Crow Armstrong is not necessarily gonna I mean he theoretically could be put into the trade but it's not going to be a trade where you have this year's first rounder and McNeil and a top prospect and another top it's not happening. Lindor is going to be traded for a lot less than that because you have to pay him and his market is going to be small in terms of how many teams can line up and do that right now. So when you look at Lindor, he is phenomenal defensively at shortstop. He is a guy that will steal 20 bases and hit 30 plus home runs for a pretty long time, probably at least the next three or four years. That's pretty special. And he's somebody that has phenomenal energy to be a franchise player. For you get Francisco Lindor, people go to the park to watch Francisco Lindor play. He it's like um I don't want to he's not Mookie Betts. That's not what I'm saying. But this is the kind of move that can supercharge your franchise like Mookie Betts did for the Dodgers. And the Mets need a move like that. And you can't dictate what's available on the market every year, right? Like would we love that a 27-year-old Cy Young pitcher is available to be traded because a team can't pay him like yeah we would love that because Trevor Bauer is a guy that is like I said is 30 you know he was amazing last year but he's he's you know has had a very roller coaster career he is an absolute loose cannon so like there's a reason why certain guys are available this is a guy that really has no business being available and for the Mets you might be able to get away with not giving up much to get him, not anything that would hurt your team, right? Let's be real. We love J.D. Davis, and you love Brandon Nimmo. I do not. If they 
go in this trade for Lindor, the Mets aren't worse. Not at all. You can go sign a corner outfielder if you want. You could play Dom Smith out there if you want. There's options that you could do where you're like, okay, it opens a spot in the lineup. I love J.D. Davis. But you can go get a superstar player in Lindor and just not have an overwhelming return to do it because you have the money, which the Mets typically never have had the money to do this in the last decade, so decade plus. So it's just a really good uh, a really good opportunity is what I would like to call it, and one that you know you can get him for. It's just a steal, in my opinion. And and Nick, I get your point about the pitching. I'm with Joe that I think they can do both. I think they could trade for Lindor, and we're going to get into this actually right now. So perfectly to the next question from Steve Miller: Can you take us through some of the ins and outs of how the luxury tax can be affected and manip- or manipulated? And my take on this is, and Joe, I'd love to know hear you out here. I think the Mets can trade for a Lindor and extend Conforto, extend Lindor, and start that money after this year. Is that correct? So really, when it comes to manipulation, um, it's signing bonuses, deferred money, that those are big things. And like Jacob deGrom, for example, the Mets are paying Jacob deGrom $36 million this year. But because of how his contract is structured with signing bonuses and deferred money, he actually only counts $21.7 million against their luxury tax payroll. But generally speaking, to your question in regards to Lindor and Conforto, luxury tax payroll is calculated by the average annual salary. So it doesn't matter if you backload a deal. That means absolutely nothing for luxury tax. But those guys, what you would do is you'd settle at arbitration. So... I know Lindor's projected around $20 million, and I think Conforto's 13 something like that. I, I, I forget. I had it open, and I don't now. But either way, you work out the arbitration figures, and that's you settle their contract for 2021. Yeah, 2021. And then you sign a contract extension. That starts in 2022. So that way, from a luxury tax perspective— the contract doesn't start until 2022. It doesn't start in 2021. So you're not getting necessarily quite the hit that you would if the contract started now. So that's a couple ways to manipulate it. But ultimately, the easiest way is deferred money and kind of how you spread out your signing bonuses. So DeGrom is, you know, certainly the prime example, a guy that's salary is $15, wow, $15 million more than his luxury tax payroll hit is yeah so i think that the you know main point there is for everyone you're going to see a lot of numbers thrown on your timeline i'm not going to name names but people just throwing payroll numbers about the mets that are, are simply not accurate in terms of how they reflect the luxury tax like yes the mets uh you know we don't on the show joe and i don't believe they're going to exceed the luxury tax but we do think they're going to be very active and they're going to be able to manipulate it enough where they will probably get one of the, I mean, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I feel very confident the Mets will get one of the top free agents in Bauer, uh, Real Muto, or Springer, and they would still be able to trade for a Francisco Lindor, and they would still be able to sign a Charlie Morton or a a pitcher like that, while also they just got on the hook for Marcus Stroman's $18 million qualifying offer. So 
the point is the Mets have a lot of wiggle room to work with and make a couple big moves while also staying under the luxury tax. Last question of episode number 15. This one's from Giovanni Zavada. What's going to happen with Mats? And Giovanni had a, had a question here where he said, you know, is he a bullpen arm? Is his days as a starter over? Can he be rebuilt? But basically the, the point of the question here is what is going to happen with Steven Mats? All right. I'm going to touch on Mats in one second. I wanted to just finish a thought from the last question. I know you said Mets have a lot of money to spend. I'm going to give you the real rough numbers of where we stand because the signing bonus information isn't always fully available. But the Mets luxury tax payroll right now stands right around $155 million. So the luxury tax is $210 million this year. So let's call the Mets to have about $55 million or so to spend under luxury tax. And that's without non-tendering anybody. That's without trading any money away. Like if you were to trade Nimmo, you, like you said. Is that counting Stroman, though? That's there? counting Stroman, yes. Okay, that's good. Yeah. That's a really good number. Yeah, so they have, they have money to play. But anyway, just wanted to get that out there so that way people have an actual number and not, uh, not a theory. So... Uh, but as far as Mats goes, Mets are going to, it's going to be a tough decision because the Mets aren't really in a position to be dumping starting pitching, but at the same time, he's not a starter anymore. Well, I don't know. He, he's how, how he's not a reliever. He's definitely not a reliever, (laughs) but how much are you judging his 2020 season? Cause I feel like for a lot of people, we make excuses about their 60 games. And Matt's looked terrible this year. Let me be very clear. But he was fine in 2019. He was fine in 2018. He's he's not the starter that he was when he first got called up. He's a back-end guy now. But I guess it depends on how the market plays out. Like, Drew Smiley got $11 million out of nowhere from Atlanta. So if Drew Smiley's getting $11 million, is Matt's at $5.2 million a bargain? Maybe. Maybe a Listen, little bit. I'm fine with them doing that and trying to remake him and having him as this, hey, he's our emergency starter. Not really number six, more like number seven, right? Like you need a spot starter or two guys get hurt. And at the same time, he's working with the staff and trying to improve. I'm okay with that. I do not have it in me, Joe, to count on him as obviously the number five, and I don't think anybody is doing that, especially the Mets. But I don't know if I have it in me to count on him as the number six, to be honest with you. If that's the case, then you just non-tender him. I mean, that, then that that's no question. You're not paying $5 million for someone to be a, number a long reliever, yeah. number six or number seven starter. But it, it really depends. I, I don't know what the market looks like. And unfortunately, you're going to have to make a decision on tendering Steven Matz before you may even really know what the market's going to become. So maybe you non-tender him and say, hey, we're going to keep in touch because we might still want you back. If It's not impossible that Steven Matz could be a perfectly suitable fit starter in 2021. Like, I, I think for certain people, at times, we give them the benefit of the doubt from the 2020 season and it seems like Matt's everyone's just like well it's obvious he's just no good anymore and maybe it's true maybe he's not but man I mean the guy gave you 30 starts in 2019 posted a 4.2 ARA that guy could be my fit starter any day of the week and at five million dollars that's fine value but 
I don't know what the market's going to be this year. Better than Porcello. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So like, what are these? What are the? What are these guys going to get? So is five million dollars a bargain for Mats? Is five million dollars a drastic overpay for Mats? I don't know. I don't know. It really depends on what everyone else gets. But if you compare it, I mean, Drew Smiley looked really nice. Like that's a prime example. He looked really nice in the sixty game stretch. He hasn't really pitched that good prior to that, and he got $11 million. So I almost wonder if this middle of the pitching market is all going to be settling for one, two-year deals tops and getting a higher AAV. And, you know, hey, we're not going to give you three years at something else. We'll give you one year for a little more. And, you know, is Charlie Morton pushing $15 million for a year? Maybe. Uh, so it's, it's, I don't think there's an easy answer. I don't think it's a no brainer to non tender them. I understand if they do, but if they do, they better know they already don't have pitching. So you're just throwing a pitcher to the streets that has a recent history of being fine, not great, but a fine pitcher. And he's, he had a lot of health issues early in his career, but he's been healthy the last couple of years for the most part. Just he was downright terrible this year. So I don't blame them if they do non-tender him. But man, that I don't envy the person that's making that decision because uh, it's it's not an easy one. I don't think it's a slam dunk either way, but he's not a bullpen guy. There's no question about that. So if you're bringing Matt's back, you're bringing him back with the idea that he's competing for the fifth spot and then. In spring training, because you can bring him to St. Lucie for this $5 million, and let's say he shows up to spring training and competes with those guys, like I said, that get minor league deals that you wouldn't have expected for the fifth spot. And if he's an utter disaster down there, you could cut him by, I believe, March 12th, and you're only responsible for 75% of his money. So you at least are able to get out of a percentage of the arbitration money if that were the case, so... I don't know, man. It, it's it's very tough. I, I guess, like you said, and the problem is they'll have to feel out the market. They won't, might not be able to do it in time. Like if you knew, if you're feeling it out, right, and you're like, oh, we can get, you know, Odorizzi and Morton for lower than we expect and can actually get them both while making our other big splash moves, then you kind of sit there and go, well, you know, we don't really need them because we think that we have – a pretty solid unit with DeGrom, those two guys added to it, Stroman, Peterson, and there's five right there, and you're not factoring Syndergaard coming back at some point. So I think that it'll ulti- what will determine Mats's fate, in my opinion, is, a, is this a starting pitching market that the Mets can come away with two guys they feel good about, or is it one that they only come away with one guy they feel good about? And I think you're going to look at, you know, you're going to look at your your Paxtons and your Tanakas. And, I mean, I feel better about those guys than I do about Steven Matz. And guess what? It it might not be a mega jump from $5 million. It really might not. You might get Paxton on, what, two-year 18? Am I crazy? Not necessarily. No, I don't think so. So, I, so I, if, I, that, if I, that's the case, point. then I'm in. But the biggest issue that we have here is... You have December second to decide, and none of those soon. And those those guys are not going to be ready to come off the board December second. So their market is still going to be to be determined at that point. 
at least at it's least a percentage a of those. Slow free agency. Yeah, it's it's gonna be a slow off season. So you know, strap in because we we got a while. Oh man! All right. Well, that wraps up episode <laughs> fifteen. Joe, some closing thoughts. No, uh, everyone, please go check out that prospect list over at SNY.TV. Uh, I would expect you hear from us really soon. I think you'll see a, a bonus episode, hopefully this week, um, with the Mets having a president of baseball operations. So hopefully that wraps up. And, you know, everyone, please follow at That's So Mets Pod on Twitter. Follow Connor at Connor J. Rogers. Follow me at PSL2Flushing. Uh, please go on Apple Podcasts and everywhere you get it, rate and review. Uh, we've gotten, you know, a lot of five stars. And, you know, I even want to shout out uh, something something that I think we should do here on occasion is I, w- I want you people to leave reviews on Apple Podcasts. I've read every single one and I'm super appreciative. But, you know, I want to read one here. Why not? And this is from at Carrie C, the best Mets podcast around. Thank you. I have been a huge very nice. <laughs> I have been a huge fan of Connor from Turn on the Jets and his other work with Stick to Football. I somehow stumbled upon Jeff means Joe. Close enough. I get weirdly I get, <laughs> weirdly I get called Jeff way more often than you'd think. Um, but stumbled across my Twitter page and have been following him since due to his great work with the Mets Farm System. This podcast is fantastic, and the excitement only grew with the hot hiring of steve cohen um great job guys and keep up the good work but no i mean this is the kind of stuff that i love to see i've read every single review that's been posted so please go on leave reviews leave us five stars it helps in visibility like we want i'm so appreciative of all the listeners that we have but we want to continue to grow grow this uh listenership so you know, please do that. It helps us a ton. And, you know, I'm, I'm down to read a new review every week if, if you guys leave them. So uh, please do so. And can't wait to talk again soon and really talk about who's running the Mets. Absolutely. There it is, folks. Episode 15 in the books. We will catch you next week. I'm Amira Rose Davis, host of the new season of American Prodigy, all about black girls in gymnastics. My white coaches just said, you may not get the scores that you deserve because you're Black. It's the story of a decades-long struggle of Black gymnasts trying to find and amplify their voices. I can't be the next Simone Biles. I can't be the next Dominique Dodds. I can only be the next version of myself. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and wherever you get your podcasts.